everybody. This is Jimmy Palumbo, and this is the inaugural Jimmy Palumbo Show as a podcast. Very interesting uh, because just about everyone in the world has a podcast, and uh, except me. And then I decided, well, maybe it's time that I get one. So I ran into a couple of buddies of mine who actually grew up in my hometown, and they said they got this new network going on, and they want me on their network. So here I am. So uh, let's see what can we what can we say about myself to get this show going. Well, I'm uh, I'm an actor and a comedian and a voiceover artiste. I don't know about the artiste part, and I do you know stand up. I did sketch comedy and on a bunch of uh, films and TV shows, which I'll get into as the show progresses. And um, that's what uh, that's my deal. I was uh, I started out. Uh, I was born in Rawway, New Jersey. Can't beat Rawway, the pride of Central Jersey. Well, some people call it North Jersey, but it's really Central Jersey, where uh, I went to St. John Vianney Grammar School. Yes, one through eight of grammar school. Can't beat that. And then, of course, Colonia High School, the Fighting Patriots, um, home of Eric Legrand of Rutgers fame. And... Uh, then I ended up going to the greatest university in the world, that is Rutgers University, who uh, they never really won in anything the whole time I was there. But the good news is um, they're going to the NCAA tournament since the first time since 1991, which I am tickled pink about. Plus, the football team is better. We got Shiano back, and I think we're going to see some good things there. So, yep, I went to uh, Rutgers, uh, Scarlet Knights, and... Uh, I was over on the Livingston campus, which, <laughs> the rock as they call it, um, which was cold and damp and lousy, but you know what, it was still Rutgers, it was cool. And uh, hung out with all the, uh, all the Rutgers uh, baseball players and basketball players and football players, that's how I got into it. And um, it was really a lot of fun to do all that kind of stuff. Of course, uh, next week I'm going to have um, Brian Ellerby on the show, who uh, was the last uh, point guard on Rutgers to actually win an NCAA game. And I think it was 1985, which is so pathetic. But um, he'll be on. He was also the head coach of Michigan for five years. So uh, he'll be a really interesting uh, person to have on. He's an old buddy of mine. And uh, so, yeah, I was a Kappa Sigma. I was a little frat boy there. And then I graduated uh, Rutgers there. And, uh, you know, I my brother was in the computer business, so I started selling computers and, that was back in the day when someone came in and they bought like a printer and a computer and a monitor like you buy a car now. It was like a showroom. So it was like it's like five grand for a keyboard, monitor, uh, floppy drives, not even hard drives are out. I'm dating myself. Um, and then I worked for I worked for three companies there and I did that for a while. I never liked it. I hated it, but I just did it. Then I worked for a little known company, which no one knows, called Microsoft. And um, yeah, Microsoft. And it was uh, Microsoft Windows hadn't even come out yet, okay? And I was an employee. It was like the hottest company in America. And I worked there for about two years or so. I hated it. I just hated it. And I wanted to go into acting. So um, uh, right around the same time, I auditioned for a community theater show in a huge theater in East Brunswick, New Jersey called Playhouse 22, where all the greats start out. <laughs> and I... Uh, uh, I booked a lead. The lady booked me in this lead, and uh, her name was Mary McGinley. I, I love her to this day about that. She booked me in this lead of Play It Against Sam. I played the Tony Roberts role. I got the bug, 
And I told my parents I was still living at home. I was like, oh, I want to. I think I want to, you know, go for this thing. And so they didn't really say no, which I can't. My mother's mad to this day. <laughs> she should have said no. But the weird thing was, I had about I don't know four thousand dollars worth of Microsoft stock from 1990. But I was so brilliant and smart on my feet. I said, wait a minute, let me sell the stock so I can have like 10 car payments on my 89 Honda Civic. So I did that. So those of you scoring at home, uh, please write into the show whenever there's a place to write in and let me know how much $4,000 worth of Microsoft stock would have been had I just taken that piece of paper and shoved it up my ass the whole time and not touched it till now. I think I'd be a millionaire many times over. So I started substitute teaching at Woodbridge High School. And then uh, I started doing, uh, went into the city, started doing improv and going on all these backstage auditions. When I ran into this uh, very funny fellow, his name is Arthur Lang, otherwise known as Artie Lang. And the two of us, we didn't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. And we started just auditioning for all kinds of stuff. And we ended up, in the Alan Chan's improv group. And Artie and I would just literally, there were all these people that were trained and they went to Juilliard and Harvard and all this stuff. And they had these two boobs from, Artie was from Union, New Jersey, and I'm from Colonia. And we would just, we would just try to make each other laugh. I mean, we were, you know, we just did such awful material, but it was all improv games. And I just tried, like, I would just make references to, like, Ed Figaro on the Yankees and stuff like that. And Artie would make references to different things. and But I knew, the great thing about Artie was, I knew, I was like, oh my God, this guy is the funniest guy. You know, it's a shame. I He was great on uh, Mad TV and Howard Stern. And most of you guys know him as that, you know, Howard Stern guy. And I get that. But um, Artie was a funny dude well before Howard Stern. Even hanging out with his buddies in Union, Artie was always, uh, you know, sitting at the bar with you or sitting out. You went out with Artie. You had pure laughs. And it wasn't always about partying and drinking and drugs. It was none of that. Matter of fact, Artie never did drugs in front of me. Um, but uh, he just was the funniest guy you could possibly imagine. And we we ended up, next thing you know, the, the group ended up getting better and better. And next thing you know, uh, we all auditioned for Mad TV. And they saw like 5,000 people for that. And Artie booked it. And... Um, so we lost Artie, which was like pretty much if like the Lakers lost LeBron right now, how would they fare in the playoffs? But we hired, uh, we had to hire three people to replace Artie. Uh, but we hired three very, very talented people. And um, it was tough for me because everybody thought I was going to die on the vine without Artie, you know. I was like the point guard. I was like, yeah, you just bring the ball up and get it down low to Artie. He scores. You run back, you high five. And, you know, Artie, <laughs> that's the way it was. So when Artie got, like, one of the producers told me later on, yeah, we were going to fire you because we figured you're nothing without Artie. I was like, but I realized that the third rehearsal after Artie left, um, the other people were so good. Like, they were so good. Not Artie good, but, like, they were, like, different. And I realized, hey, I better step up or otherwise I'm, I'm out of the game. And I, I, I stepped up, I think. I, I, hung, I hung with those uh, with those people. That's a little little lesson there for you. You don't have to be trained and all that. If you're funny and you're good and you work hard and you stick to who you are, you end up doing okay. And our show got picked up by NBC a year later um, called Live on Tape. And uh, as a matter of fact, Mary Birdsong, 
was in the group, um, and she had a cameo in uh, in Beer League. She played the waitress, the funniest scene in the movie. Um, uh, which, if you watch Beer League, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. And uh, also Amy Wilson and Alec Holland and um, and Barbara Harrell and uh, Tony Minuto and Tom Bolster. Um, we we were good and. The, like any showbiz story, we recorded at Saturday Night Live Studios. It was the biggest late-night television deal of all time in that, arena, in that space. And I really thought, like, wow. It was the thing for me, for my family, when they had to go to 30 Rock to watch me tape these shows. And we taped where the band plays for SNL. So I was in Studio 8 with all these NBC guys looking at us. And I'm like, oh, my God. My family gave me that look like... My God, Jimmy might actually pull this off. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, you know, I felt like I was like, you know, Fordham, and I'm going to the Final Four now. You know, I just threw Fordham under the bus, but that's how it goes. Maybe like Rutgers going to the Final Four, but um, you know, like all all sad showbiz stories, we we shot the episodes and um, they, they just ended up never airing it, and it it would have been such a cool thing. And then after that, I was I stuck with the acting, but I. You know, people were doing one man shows. I didn't do. I never did stand up in my life up to that point. But like a year and a half went by, and I booked some acting stuff. Um, you know, some Law and Order, some different stuff like that, Rescue Me's and stuff. But I never did stand up, so you don't have a thing to do. And finally, I went up to this guy who had this open mic, and I said, "Hey, man, uh, you doing this show next week?" He's like, "Yeah." He goes, Jimmy, you want to go up, man? You're the guy from Live on Tape. I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, sure." I acted like I've been doing stand up since I'm ten. I literally went up on stage and did five minutes. I didn't bomb, but I didn't do great. I just, you know what? I just, you know, I don't know. Five innings, eight hits, four runs, you know, that kind of thing. I did okay. You know, I, I didn't exactly save the bullpen, as they say. By the way, you will be hearing sports analogies in the show because I like to talk that way. But And after that, I just started doing stand-up and, you know, continued on the acting role and stuff like that. So, uh then from there, I moved out, got out to L.A. and spent 10 years there. But the, the funny thing about L.A. for me is I only was there September to May because in May I, I had a shore house in Manasquan with my 10 buddies. And they were like, dude, you're coming back, right? I'm like, yeah. So I'd be in L.A. hanging with all these cool people. And then I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to be gone for a couple months. Like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to go back. Back to, I would say I'm going back to New York. Meanwhile, I'm like going back to New Jersey. And the, the people there would be like, why are you going back to New Jersey for the summer? It's beautiful here in L.A. I'm like, you people have no clue. I'm going back to the Jersey Shore. Get out of my way. So I did that. But the funny thing is I booked work here when I was home. I booked a Curb Your Enthusiasm. That was shooting in New York when I was here. I booked tons of shows here. It was awesome. So I had the best of both worlds, and I ended up uh, um, ended up doing that. Ended up back in New Jersey. Ended up in Bergen County. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me. I ended up uh, living up in uh, uh, Ramsey, Mawa area, and uh, I have a lovely daughter up there now, and and um, pretty much that's my deal. So I've been acting now for about thirty years, and I, um, uh, you know, I got about I don't know one hundred and ten credits. I've been on a bunch of shows. My I guess my three biggest things were I was on a the live on tape thing, which nobody cares about because it wasn't on the air. Um, I was also on. Um, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, the season finale. I played the doorman who gets tipped, and I did one of the, the silent stare that um, uh, 
what's his name does, uh, uh, Larry David, you know, a do-do-do-do, which was awesome. I was also on a huge season finale of Friends where Jennifer Aniston has the baby. And as a matter of fact, I just posted something on Facebook uh, uh, about how Jennifer Aniston is like the 20th anniversary or whatever, and she talks about her favorite episode. And not only does she talk about my scene, she like, Gives me my character name. It's like she just got, the only thing she doesn't say is Jimmy Palumbo. She mentioned everybody else. So I actually sent a note to, I went online. I found her agent's name. She's like, like CAA, you know. She's got big time people. And I ended up saying, okay, uh, I just sent a note saying, hey, tell Jennifer I was uh, the fat rat bastard or sick bastard, whatever you want to call me. And uh, uh, tell her I said thanks a lot. You know, my friends and family getting a real kick out of that. And the guy emailed me back. He's like, hey, Jimmy, how's it going? I, I think I remember you from back in the day. I know your manager. Oh, yeah. We had like a little email thing. And then it was like, she goes, I'll let Jennifer know. I'm like, yeah, thanks. And that was it. You know, <laughs> like, you know. So it's not like I'm going to be on The View with Jennifer Aniston anytime soon. But, And I also did um, a movie called The Family, which was the absolute uh, awesome. It's with De Niro and Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, I spent six weeks in France on Luc Besson, who did taken the professional and a bunch of these, you know, big, big time uh, worldwide director. I literally hung out for six weeks with De Niro and Pfeiffer on this compound where we ate every night in a room, I don't know, 15 by 30. So little tables. And so like you, you would sit down and then De Niro would come in. If there was an empty chair, he'd sit down next to you. And we ate, it was, it was nuts. And, uh, my my dear friend Dominic Lombardozzi, he's laughing at that phrase, dear friend. Um, he, me, and him flew out together, and we just hit it off. And uh, we were the two FBI agents. But me and him ate. I mean, Tommy Lee Jones every like eating with us. He was Tommy Lee Jones was like so obnoxious, but he was like my obnoxious guy. You know what I mean? Like I ended up loving him. He he was he he loved us in the beginning. He didn't, but then he we won him over. Michelle Pfeiffer and. Um, we busted her chops a lot, and we did a lot of a lot of wine drinking, uh, and and we worked, and, and the movie, you know, was a good part for me. Of course, in the sad chapter of Hollywood, the movie didn't do that well at the box office. So now I'm here in Matawan, New Jersey, uh, doing a podcast in front of my family, and uh, so, uh, but it was a thrill of a lifetime, and uh, just to go to the premiere, my. Uh, I got my, uh, my mother and father were there and, uh, my dad passed away a couple of years ago and he got to, uh, I wanted him to meet De Niro, you know, but I hadn't seen him in a year and I knew he would remember me, but I wasn't sure like coming down, everybody's there. So he, he comes down the aisle at the theater and he sees me and he kind of looks right through me at first. I'm thinking, oh man, he doesn't remember me. But then he's like, he gives me, he gives me the De Niro look like, you know, oh, I, I know that guy. And he comes over, he shakes my hand, gives me a hug. He says, Jimmy, how you doing? I'm like, hey, hey, Bob, Bob. I was calling him Bob. That's what everybody else called him. I wanted to call him like Mr. Robert De Niro. And, um, and I'm like, hey, Bob, hey, listen, man, you know, I'd really like to, you want to meet my, and my father was a little short Italian guy. And uh, he went over, gave, he shook my father's hand, you know. Of course, my father's like, hey, Bob, when are you going to do Broadway? You got to do Broadway. Like, I'm like, Dad, you're talking shop with Robert De Niro. You're a carpenter from Central New Jersey. But then my mother gave him like an Irish bear hug. It was so great. And, uh, but it was, it was wonderful. And, and Michelle Pfeiffer couldn't have been sweeter. She made sure, yeah, with all the press I got, she gave me a hug and she gave me a, turned me around to all the people that were taking pictures of her. So if you go on like Getty images and type in Jimmy Palumbo, you'll see me with Michelle Pfeiffer. 
But again, the movie didn't do well at the box office, and uh, and there you go. But I still remain friendly with uh, Dominic. And uh, matter of fact, he's going to have to do my this podcast now because I'm going to do his. He just started one too. So um, we uh, uh, so that's it. So then I decided, well, you know, maybe I should do a podcast. I couldn't figure out what am I going to really do a podcast about because I can I, I can tell showbiz stories. I can also tell. Jersey Shore stories, and I want to, like, interview some people that I think are fascinating. Now, there'll be some sports people. There'll be some actors, for sure. But I think there's, you know, I, I want to interview a plumber from Edison, New Jersey, and find out, like, you know, what's what's the latest in PVC piping. But, uh, you know, stuff like that. Anything that I find interesting, and um, it's just going to be me, you know, talking about stupid stuff, like... You know, this week, the, the big topic would uh, have to be um, Rutgers making the NCAA tournament. I'm tickled pink. They won a huge game against Minnesota. And I think they went 10-10 in the league. They have to go now. So now we got the Big Ten tournament. Hopefully we'll win one game to completely solidify it. But I'm, I, I'm thrilled to death. I can't wait. I can't believe I'm going to fill out a bracket with Rutgers names in it, you know. And I, I uh, saw an interview by a bracketologist. How creepy is that? And he was like, "Oh, we had to, we had to call up the program company because they didn't have the Rutgers name in the list of schools." Think about that. Bracketologists don't know what to do with the name. That's the most pathetic thing. There was no interweb back in 1991. Oh my God, it's pathetic. But I love it. I'm, of course, I have to say Rutgers going to win the first round because you just have to do that. Of course, there'll be a big X on my <laughs> the piece of paper. But no, that's huge. I I, I'm, I can't. You know, last week's game was just so cool. I, uh, of course, by the time this thing goes on the air, they'll probably be out of the tournament by then, but hopefully we'll get it on the air pretty quick. But, uh, no, I'm totally pumped up. Scarlet Knights, baby. And the football team, um, last year was, you know, we were, we've been a very bad football team. And, uh, Shiano comes back. Um, initially, I didn't really, I don't know if I wanted him back, but he came back and he's been like, he's been like Moses part in the Red Sea. I mean, what he's done with, with no, no, what do you sell kids on? Like, uh, the record stinks. We get crushed in the Big Ten. Got to go up against uh, Penn State recruiting-wise and all that. And let me tell you, he has done an incredible job. And an old friend of mine told me that when they first got to the Big Ten, the problem is when you look at all the 40 sports that they have or whatever, they didn't have all Big Ten coaches. And what happened was it took time to one by one, because now it's a Big Ten job. So, you know, the women's volleyball team didn't have really a Big Ten caliber coach or the women's softball team. But now, one by one, all the coaches now at Rutgers, they're they're Big Ten coaches, which means you got to pay them more. But they come from programs like Texas and Oklahoma. And you'll see the, uh, uh, like, even the women's softball coach, she's, she's a badass. And she even got in a little trouble there because some of the students were like, oh, she's like, she's yelling at us. Like, yeah, welcome welcome to the Big Ten, you know. So I'm pumped that all the sports are going to be better. And the wrestling team, of course, just got the right guy. And the wrestling team's incredible. But, again, as good as our wrestling team is, we're like a top 15 team. We're like sixth in the Big Ten. <laughs> it's like, it's like it, uh, wrestling to me, it, uh, New Jersey wrestling is awesome. It's one of the best in, you know, high school wrestling in the country. But, like, we'll never be number one in the Big Ten. I don't care what the guy does. I, I mean, like, you know, Iowa, Penn State, you know. 
you know, uh, Michigan, um, especially those heavier weight class. If you notice, Rutgers does good. The little little fly weights down low, but once you get to the uh, once you get to the big puppies, it's like uh, they tend to crush us. But you know, listen, we got a couple of uh, national champs now, which is huge, and uh, um, we. I'm gonna try to get some Rutgers people on to to bust chops, but it's not gonna be all about Rutgers. Of course, I'm a huge Yankee fan. Um, I'm your classic. Uh, Yankees, Knicks, Rangers, uh, uh, you know, Giants. I've season I had season tickets to the Giants for a long time. Family still has them, but you know, I I got a fifty five inch screen TV, so nobody feels like going to the worst stadium in the NFL. And I I I would love to have that. I'm gonna have a whole maybe I'll have a whole show on that. The show is gonna be called How Awful Is the uh, the Giant Stadium or MetLife, whatever it is. It looks like an air conditioner. does nothing for the fans. But they didn't want to get rid of the old stadium. Um, it's awful. Uh, plus, they got to share it with the Jets, which is, that's another, that's awful anyway. Like, if we were sharing it with the Pittsburgh Steelers, then it would be cool, you know what I mean? We stay with the Jets, and they have to go from green to blue, and they have these curtains they roll down. I, the Jet fan, and nobody likes, you'll never hear someone say, oh, dude, went to MetLife, you know, it's, it's, it's awful. But, uh Hopefully, uh, I think I can't. I don't know enough uh, in terms of the Rangers. <laughs> I, let me tell you, kind of, this is the kind of hockey fan I am. I wait till the playoffs, and then I see if the Rangers are in, and then I I take an interest. I hope they win. I couldn't name more than four Rangers, but I'm a Ranger fan, not a Devils fan, even though I'm from New Jersey. I'm a Rangers fan, and um, but the, I'm a huge Nick fan, and we'll be talking a little bit about the Knicks uh, because what happened to me was. The uh, Rutgers and the Knicks in basketball have been so lousy for 20 years that, like, uh, uh, there's no a whole generation of Knicks fans. Like, I have friends of mine that just say, oh, I just root for LeBron. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? Uh, you're not a Knicks fan or you're a Nets fan? you got to root for somebody. Not a, not a player, a team, you know. But I love what the Knicks are doing. Knicks play tough. They play good D. The guy Thibodeau, he knows what's going on over there. Even though they're only 500, it feels like they haven't lost a game to me. So that would be fun. And the Giants, I think, are I love this new coach. I think he's Giants will be better. But the NFL, you know, everybody, you know, everybody can be six and ten, and then you go ten and six the next year. It's, you know, we're not uh, we're not gonna be great, but also we you know, we've been lousy for the last few years. So hopefully uh that'll be fun to to talk about. But I'll also talk about, you know, all the sports in general, whatever's going on. Everybody knows, you should know if you don't, I, you know, I'm not a Tom Brady fan. Um you know, I'll just, if I ever met Tom, maybe I'll try to get Tom Brady on the show and just say, um, I'm I'm like, I'm Eli Manning's landscaper or something like that, just to bust his job. But I did two commercials. Here's, here's a, I did two commercials with Peyton Manning. And the first one was for Papa John's, and I had to play a referee. And I had to blow a whistle in his ear. So the prop guy gives me this big official NFL whistle. And... I had to come around and blow the whistle like three inches from his ear. And I know from doing some sketch shows, you got to be careful with a whistle. You could blow out someone's ear. So I say to the director, I said, hey, uh, you know, uh, what do I do with this whistle? Can you do it in post? Cause, and the guy goes, I think Peyton Manning's heard his share of whistles. I said, no, but, you know, not really. We're, we're inside. And so he heard me talk about it, which covered my butt. And then we did the first take, and I blew the whistle. And Peyton Manning almost fell on his face. He was like, whoa, whoa, dude, what are you? I'm like, I, he goes, oh, I'm not yelling at you. I heard you say don't blow. Then they shoved a piece of tape inside the whistle so it didn't blow. They fixed it in both. 
But we ended up, uh, he, he realized I was in the movie Beer League, so we started doing lines for movies and stuff, and I was going toe-to-toe with him. And he couldn't believe, he was like, oh my God, you're Johnny Trudeau. <laughs> I was like, this is nuts. So then about two years later, I book a job for um, a Nationwide, and they don't say anything. They fly me down to Miami. I didn't even get a script, and um, which is rare. Usually, you know, you know what you're doing. And uh, so we get down there, and uh, I see on the on the crew list, number one, PM, it says. So I go up to the producer guy. I go, hey, is this a Peyton Manning spot? He goes, yeah. I'm like, oh. In my head, I'm like, he's totally going to remember me. We worked like a day and a half on the Pizza Hut. So then the guy makes an announcement. Hey, everybody, Peyton Manning's here. Don't talk to him. Don't bother him. And he had just won his second Super Bowl. Uh, and um, Eli had won the one right before we did the other one. So he makes, I'm thinking to myself, why did he say that? Peyton Manning was very nice on the, the on the set. He was very nice to everybody. So I'm like, all right, got to respect the director, producer, guy, whatever. So Peyton Manning comes walking. Hey, everybody, how you doing? You know, I gave his wave. He sees me. He's like, oh, Jimmy, what's going on? He gives me a big hug. You know, he's like, what's going on, man? We're like high-fiving. And I look at the director. The director's like, oh, Palumbo, what are you doing to me, you know? So uh, then we ended up hanging out, and I I'm, I sing that song, you know, Order Up One Chicken Parm. That was the spot, if you remember that. I played a chef in a real Denny's, a filthy kitchen in Denny's, greasy floor. I had to be there for like 15 hours. But uh, Peyton was cool, and he just won the second bowl, so I told him that a lot of the Giant fans were rooting for him. You know, him that way him and his brother got two, and that way you can bust uh, they can bust his father's balls about it because his father didn't win anything. But his father was probably better than both of them. He just didn't win anything. But, uh, yeah, so uh, we'll be doing stuff like that. I'm going to have different guests on, and uh, whatever's bugging me that day, it doesn't have to be showbiz, you know. Um, I could talk about stuff like I joined the gym and it's a, a part of a hospital gym, but it's a separate thing. And I realized today that there's only old people in this gym, but it's like state of the art, but it's good. Cause I was worried about COVID and stuff, but I realized there was a guy on the treadmill next to me with an oxygen canister clanging up again, clink, clink, clink. I look over this guy and he's looking at me. Meanwhile though, he was going way faster than I was. It's like, oh, my God, I'm a fat bastard. I can't move this guy. Then I realized, what am I doing at this gym? I'm watching TV shows and the monitors. I'm going slow. And you can't look at the chicks because everyone's got a mask on. So I'm looking at a girl. She could be 13, for all I know. Uh, it's like the creepiest thing. And then, you know, some women take the mask off, and they're like 65 years old. I'm like, oh, my God. I feel like saying, well, you look good from behind with the mask on, but, you know, what can I tell you? But it's like creepy. Some guy's in there with his daughter working out, and you're like, you know, it's awful. I don't want to see that. But most of the people are over 90 in this gym, so I, I fit right in. <laughs> it's like when they uh, they seem to be way more uh, way more in shape than I am, which is sad. But I'm getting there. I'm getting back in shape. Um, but one of the worst things about doing this podcast is behind me is a uh, Witten jersey from the Dallas Cowboys because I'm on this network where there's like a cool cowboy show, which uh, that's like the worst thing. Know, a, a Jersey guy's doing a cowboy show. Pathetic. We covered that in Beer League. Artie was right. You're in Jersey. You can't be rooting for the Cowboys. So if my show ever gets bigger than that show, um, I assure you it will not be a Witten jersey. There'll be a giant jersey with the number 56. That's the beautiful thing about being older. I only need one. I need All I need is like a Mariano Rivera Yankee shirt. I need an LT shirt, 56. Um 
for the Knicks, you just need number 33, Patrick Ewing. And that's it. You don't have to worry about anything else. You know, you know, there's no, no matter what new star comes along, I'm not buying a number 10 jersey. I'm not buying, you know, uh, I'm not buying any of these shirts. Saquon Barkley, none of that. I just wear 56, and I'm automatically into the club. That's It's it's proper attire. You know what I mean? So staring at this, um, thank God there's a Jeter picture to the left that, that kind of balances it out a little bit. But, um, so we're going to have some fun. But um, we're going to actually now have our... Um, our, my first guest on my first podcast is a um, dear friend of mine. His name is uh, Mark DiCarlo, and Mark has been on tons of TV shows. His uh, biggest thing is he was the uh, he was the voice of uh, Jimmy Neutron's dad, Hugh Neutron. He was also the host of a show back in the day called Studs that was on for three or four years, a big hit back then. He's also he wrote a book, um, a travel book. Because he was on a show called Taste of America on the Food Channel, which I think was ahead of its time. It was like the really, really funny show on uh, was on the Travel Channel, and um, he's also doing tons of cool things with voice. Matter of fact, we're working together on this uh, new Pinocchio uh, animated film coming out, and he's also a great guy, and he uh, also plays hockey a lot, which is uh, I think that's kind of creepy too. He's supposed to watch hockey, not actually play it. I mean, you know, he wanted me to play one day. I'm like, I don't skate. People in New Jersey don't skate. What are you talking about? But he's a great guy, and he's um, he's coming up. Health and Fitness Professionals is your one-stop shop for all things sports medicine. They now have four locations in Woodbridge, Scotch Plains, South Plainfield, and Freehold, New Jersey. They're now offering physical therapy, occupational therapy, pain management, chiropractic services, acupuncture, cryotherapy, you name it, they do it. I can't say enough about their chiropractors on site. I get adjusted literally three times a week to get my old 35-year-old self feeling as best as possible. Contact them today. Check out their website, www.hfrehab.com for more info. You know, as I get older, I tend to appreciate different things. One thing I love now more than I ever have in the past is some unique furniture. Not just any furniture, unique custom furniture made by Battle Rattle Woodworks. He's specialing in charcuterie boards for all those parties you're about to host when this weather gets a little nicer. Even better, if you enter the code CHOP15 at checkout, you're going to get 15% off your entire purchase. Massive savings on some unique American-made stuff. Help support your local veteran right now and visit him on social media at Battle Rattle Woodworks. All right, we're back here. Jimmy Palumbo on the Jimmy Palumbo Show, the inaugural program. So my first guest is a very, very good friend of mine. Um, I've uh, I've known him now for about 23 years. His name is uh, Mark DiCarlo. Mark, what's going on, buddy? Jim, I am pleased and honored to be your inaugural guest on your inaugural show. The, the, the podcast world and the radio world is better off knowing that you are now surfing the airwaves in a pair of board shorts and a Dago t <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm so early to the podcast world, I feel like I just got rid of my Betamax machine. So it's like um, not exactly on the cutting edge here, but, uh, you know, hey, better late than never to the dance. But, uh, yeah, so me and Mark met uh, years ago. Uh, on the X show where we shot the pilot. It was uh, uh, me, Mark, and two other guys. I thought I was brilliant. It was a talk show for the FX Network, yeah, a late talk night show talk for show. FX Network. That just cut out a little bit. All right. And, uh, yeah, so talk show for the FX Network. And 
I thought I was great. Me and Mark hit it off. And next thing you know, you were. The, the show goes and they tell me that I am no longer, I'm not part of the, the show. So the best part is though, me and Mark became friends. I, you know, slept over his place a bunch of times. <laughs> and my manager, who's a, a big manager now, I go into his office and he's like, ah, Jimmy, sorry about the, um, you know, the X show thing. I said, ah, yeah, what are you going to do? Hopefully I'll get something. He's like, I did hear what happened. Um, he goes, Mark DiCarlo got you fired. He didn't want you on the show. I'm like, Mark, I'm staying at his house. He just dropped me off. What are you talking about? He's like, yeah, they didn't want two Italians. Mark was threatened by you. I'm like, threatened by me? Right. He keeps on telling right. me you're firing the wrong guy. But uh, we oh. ended up, we hit it off you after that. You the funniest thing on the pilot, Jim. The show would have been completely different. Had the, had oh, had the forget it. We would have had so much fun. But anyway, I, but I mean. This is a great venue for you. Uh, this, just talking. Just well, listening to your voice fills me with joy. But I would like to talk about Mark DiCarlo because I think, uh, Mark, you're, uh, you're a Chicago guy, correct? Born and bred in Chicago. Uh, last year was the first year in my life that I have not spent at least one day at Wrigley Field. Um, wow. Uh, came out to California to go to UCLA. Started doing comedy out here. Founded the Second City Theater out here in L.A. And uh, uh, I, I, I uh, do a lot of improv, which there is just an easy way well, to avoid learning well, lines. Well, one of the things I think we have to we have to touch on, which I think is cool, there used to be um, um, a show called Sale of the Century, and it was a trivia mm -hmm. kind of show, and you could win big money in it um, if you went all the way yeah. or that kind of deal. So I understand you won, I don't know, $120,000 or something like that. Uh, literally like a, a week after you graduated UCLA, you ended up as a contestant on the sale of Century. Tell us what happened. Yeah, I was broke, and I was graduating with a communications degree from UCLA. I was broke, I needed money, and I wanted to buy a used convertible. And someone told me, oh, go get on a game show. So I applied. I got on sale of the Century. I ended up being the all-time champion of the show. I was on 11 days in a row. I won $115,000. But the way they do it is, for the first 10 shows, you win, you automatically come back the next day, and you compile all these prizes and cash. After the 10 shows, they say, all right, Mark, you have 70 grand. You can go home, or you can come back and risk all of that and win another 50 if you win. But if you lose, you lose everything. That was the, and I was, the, the fact that 70 grand was a lot of money back then, bro. I mean, I can't I believe it. in two days. That's like unbelievable. It, it, you, you shoot five shows in a day. I made all that money. It was like poker chips. You don't, I, I didn't really realize how much money it was. Right. And then I come back uh, two days later to shoot the, the 11th episode. I was hungover from partying all week with my friends. Um, I, I, I was nervous. My voice was higher than it used to be. And right. I just, so I, it's horrible. I'm losing, losing, losing the whole game to this obnoxious woman that was sitting well, next to me. Well, I will tell you this. I went actually went on YouTube to watch the final, the final, uh, literally the final question. And um, yeah. I love it because it's such a way to totally give you heat. Uh, tell us, walk us through that last question. Well, the way the show worked is you, you, worked, you worked your way to the end of the show, then they would do a speed round. It was 60 seconds, and you had a buzz in, and he, Jim Perry, God love him, just kept asking questions. And at the beginning of the speed round, I was trailing and I had not in the first 10 shows, I had not beaten someone by less than 30 points. Wow. I, I was just, I was Michael Jordan. Right. And I was playing like a high school team. And all of a sudden I was mortal. Right. And 
they start asking this. The first question they ask in the speed round is, "What city would you be in if you were if in the if you were riding the L?" And I buzz in, and I couldn't think to say Chicago. And the buzzer went, and everyone laughed at me. And I remember closing my eyes and seeing the new convertible that I had won the day before driving away, <laughs> driving with money away, flying out the back of it. <laughs> Awful. So at the end of the sixty seconds. It comes down to a tiebreaker with me and this obnoxious woman. She buzzes in first. What was the question? An Indian woman named Sacagawea led. She buzzed in. She said Pocahontas, which is wrong. So she, she Lewis and Clark through right. the Northwest Passage. She loses five points. I back in for the win. So you so by the fact that she answered wrong, you won one hundred twenty thousand dollars. I love that. Correct. I love that you Correct. came in fat and sloppy into the final round and had to completely back into the money. So, all right, so you but win that's this how big. The pros do it. Some, you know, you don't have your best stuff every day. You got to go out there and you got to grind. Sometimes out, you, you got to compete. You got to rely on Scotty Pippen sometimes. So, um, right, exactly. So, uh, all right, so you win, dude. But that's got to start you off. I mean, you, you they also you also Never, got like, I, did you get like gifts and microwaves and all that kind of stuff too? I got. I got trips. I got microwave stereos. I got this gorgeous red convertible Celica GTS um, cash. I, the, the best thing is I didn't ever have to get a real job. You know, I told my parents, I've got all this money in the bank now. I'm going to, I'm going to try and be an actor for two years, try and be a comedian for two years. If it doesn't work, I'll go get a real job. And in that interim time, I didn't have to wait tables. I didn't have to do anything except get auditions be. and go and, books and do commercials right. and stuff. And I think without having that pressure, it makes it easier. All my friends had to work day jobs to get their sure. money and then also act. So it was, a, it was March 22nd, every uh, greatest day of the year. I will, I will call you. Well, just, just watch you banging the microphone there. Act like, act like a professional for once. Um, but right. uh, so, so, okay. Now a lot of people know you from the show studs. Um, which was a, a big hit. I remember it. Wasn't my kind of show, but um, most oh. people wasn't my kind of show. Oh my god, I didn't watch. I was outside shooting hoops. Um, but uh, so tell us about Studs, which a lot of people know you about. Uh, it was like the first reality show. People say it was a dating show uh, where two boys and three girls. We we send one guy out with three girls, and then the second guy out with the same three girls, and they would come back to the set and then talk about what happened, and then uh, innuendo and crazy stories would unfold. Did you, uh, were, you able to, the, were you able to date any of the contestants or anything? Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that, that later. Okay. <laughs> I was not prohibited from that. Um, um, and this is in the days before social media, so you could do things and not get uh, right. well, in good trouble for, you. for them. Well, good for I, you. I played it pretty straight, though. I think you hit a chopper to second base that was fielded cleanly, fired across the diamond, just like that, one away. <laughs> uh, all right, so after studs, like I know, uh, you know, another thing, um, which uh, okay, most of the stuff Mark DeCarlo's done, I, I have no interest in, which is great because we're just friends anyway. <laughs> he was uh, there was a show that my nephews just watched all the time. It was Jimmy Neutron. And you mm -hmm. were the voice of Jimmy Neutron's dad, Hugh Neutron, which... That's correct, Jim. I played uh, uh, Hugh Neutron along with Megan Cavanaugh as uh, they, uh, Judy Neutron and Debbie Derryberry. Okay, my, my producer here is freaking out. You're doing, you're doing 
when the boy said he, he's in the age bracket where he watched it religiously. Uh, a cowboy fan watched those science shows, you know. Uh, right. <laughs> Giant fans were out drinking and boozing and smoking, but cowboy fans were watching Jimmy Neutron. Uh, that's so great. That, but I made you do that for my nephews a couple times on the phone. They got a kick out of that. Kids so. love it. I, you know, I go to comic cons and it's just now grown ups. You know, now now it's, sure. we came on in uh, two thousand. Movie came out in two thousand two, and the TV show started right after that. So right, um, it was pretty much right after the X show. And people, it was a great show. It was it was the first show where the nerdy science kid was the star instead of the kid that you picked right. on. We had a great cast, Rob Paulson, multiple Emmy winner, uh, Debbie Derryberry, Megan Cavanaugh. Uh, those are, these are, those of you who may not know, these are like big time voiceover um, uh, people. I'm going to cut ahead to something which was cool. Um, Mark is producing um, and starring in a, a new animated Pinocchio movie, which is being animated right now in Russia. Um, and uh, Mark was uh, uh, gave me a few... Uh, a few parts in the in the thing, you know, background voices, and you know, I'm part of it. But he has some really. He called in every favor, and it was so cool to be like in this room. And Mark set it up with uh, five different booths, so all the actors can see each other to play off on each other. And Mark um, rewrote the, the script a little bit. And but the first day, the voice of uh, SpongeBob uh, <laughs> couldn't be there. Tom Kenny. Tom Kenny was like. That's like saying, "Oh, listen, Jordan and Ruth can't be here, but you know, can Gardner hop in?" You know, so I was able to do like, and then like these other voices that were just—they're all so awesome. I was like, "Oh my god, what a hack voiceover guy!" <laughs> these guys. Are, matter of fact, the worst no, you two. You did a good job. The, the, you did a good job. The worst two voices there were me and Mark DeGarlo. <laughs> and then, so uh, we hope when that movie comes out. Uh, the, that that's a big hit for you, but it was really cool to work with some of those. Uh, yeah, it's called Pinocchio and the Magic, or Pinocchio and the Water of Life. It's coming out at Christmas in theaters, and uh, um, uh, Tom Kenny, the voice of SpongeBob, is playing Pinocchio. Um, Maurice um, Lamarche and Rob Paulson, the guys from Pinky and the Brain, are playing rats in the movie. Right. Uh, Susie Nakamura from Avenue Five's in it. Who's Fred, the guy uh, with the big deep uh, voice? The big deep voice. Like Fred Tatashore. He's the voice of the Hulk and. Um, Tasmanian Devil. That guy's done uh, like Phil he's done Lamar like seven hundred it. cartoons. It's incredible. He was a nice guy. Yeah. I got to keep no, it. It's a really great. It's a it's a murderer's row of oh, voice actors. Awesome. Um, I was humbled. Uh, my friend Ryan Rowe and I wrote it, and it's I, I think it's really funny, and, and we're hoping to uh, spin that there off into go. a TV series as well. So All right. the other um, thing um, that um, I worked with you, and you were the host of a show on. The Food Network, not the Food, uh, Travel Channel, sorry. Travel Channel. Called uh, Taste of America with Mark DiCarlo. Now this, I'm not going to, this came out uh, before, um, you know, before all these food shows. They're like all over the place now. The, you know, at the time, only really the Bourdain food. was the only show that was on the air right. when we started. And Mark, all our buddies, at this time me and Mark were good friends, and uh, all our buddies were like, we, we the show got on the air. And we, we, we were hoping that it was a hit, but it sucked. So that way we can mock him out, even though he's making money. We'd be like, dude, your show sucks. But then, <laughs> so an awful thing happened. We were on the same softball team. So we're hanging out with the guys, and Mark's like, you know, on deck or something. And we were all whispering like, hey, did you watch Mark's show? I'm like, yeah. They're like, he's really good on it. I'm like, yeah, I know. But don't tell him. <laughs> we were like, 
we were like, we were like, oh, we were like, no, we can't tell him it's good. He goes, no, he's really good on it. I was totally interested. Uh, I thought you were dominant on that show. It was very, you, um, and you could tell. Well, go ahead. You could um, tell us about it. Uh, no, it was. <laughs> It was fun. It was called Taste of America, and I got to go to all these mom-and-pop restaurants all over America and talk to, you know, famous chefs, Emerald, and down to Miss Carol Fay, the woman that made the biscuits at the uh, Loveless Cafe in Nashville. And, uh, you know, food is, especially with Italians, but can we, people all over America. Can you tell us? what people, that's why you travel. What was your, right? what was your favorite episode? <laughs> we did an episode in Hawaii where spam is very popular. I don't know if you folks know that, but during World War II, they couldn't get meat. And the only meat that the Hawaiians had was uh, spam. So we had a guy deliver a giant spam suit, like a, like a uh, what do you call him, like a mascot suit. And uh, they wanted their guy to be the spam guy, but Jimmy happened to be with me in uh, Maui. So we put Jimmy in the spam suit. We shoot the segment during the day. We finish. We go back out. We have a couple of Mai Tais that night. I talk Jimmy into putting the spam suit back on. I was half in the and bag. We go out. Wearing a spammy we go, costume. You were more than half in the bag. <laughs> you, were, you, you were more than half. So oh, wait, we wait. go out to the, uh, the tiki lounges at the beach along Smiley Beach. As a, remember, as we're, walking along, as we're walking along, I had older men going, Hey, spammy man! Without you, I wouldn't have made it. Like older guys who fought in the war, and then right next to me would a kid would run by and smack me in the back of the head, and I would like curse at him. And so they were like, "That that spammy just cursed at me." But then we ended up in this huge um, uh, resort that had like this big outdoor area, and somehow we got in and. Literally, I was sitting amongst all these people, and Mark, of course, is the devil. He's egging me on. But there was a stage with a microphone, and Mark said, Jimmy, you got to go. And Spammy's not supposed to talk, but I decided that he had to talk. So Spammy talked like this. I was like this. You know? so we're, we're getting ready to go up, and I was the costume. I was knocking over drinks, and girls were, like, <laughs> hugging me. And, you know, so Mark's trying to get me towards the stage, and this big guy in a suit like six, five said, uh, sir, uh, excuse me, what are you doing? I'm like, spammy's going to go on stage. <laughs> He's like, sir, all of our, uh, all of our, uh, uh talent is unionized. And all. I'm like, I'm in the union. <laughs> it's all like people are yelling out, you know, don't kick Sammy out. So Mark, of course, is trying to get me out. We almost, you know, of course we almost got kicked out, but we ended up back. Um, we almost did. We got back. We got to go back. We got to go back to softball. You were mentioning that we played on. Yes, softball I played softball with Mark DiCarlo in an LA league. Uh, now, mm -hmm. LA softball very different uh, than um, uh, we played in the Beverly Hills league. Okay, great league. I've been in it for twenty five. Yeah, years. but you, you, you yeah, okay, it's it, beautiful fields, but it's not Jersey softball. Guys are baseball guys. They're kind of good. They have better equipment, but everybody's they, they, listen. There were some good players, but like you know. I was there to completely to bust chops and have a good time. But, of course, I did two things. Um, well, Mark, why don't you tell them? To this day, Jimmy, your name, if it's mentioned at that park, people just close their eyes. And, and, and <laughs> folks, this is a God-honest true story. Jimmy was not – he was a good ball player, scrappy, like a Manny Trio, <laughs> you know, like uh, Robinson Cano before the juice. Right. You know, scrappy ball player. You want him on your team, he's going to help you win. But he was not known for his power. So one one game, Jimmy gets up 
first inning, cracks a home run over somebody's head. Unbelievable. On the first pitch. Next time he comes up, on the first pitch, boom, another home run. Now, Jimmy's never <laughs> hit two home runs in one game in this I was life. on. I was two on. Two pitches. Comes up the next time, takes the first pitch, boom, another home run. Comes up the fourth time, first pitch, boom, four pitches, four home runs. But nobody, no, but nobody said anything. Until um, what's his I name? Uh, well, no, Never initially, what's his name? The pitcher, um, uh, Paulie, the yeah. witch. He said uh, they were like, "Hey, Jimmy, you realize you've hit four home runs on four pitches?" But I got up again, so <laughs> I get up, I get up for the uh, the fifth at bat, and um, uh, I said to myself, "I have to swing at the first pitch," and uh, sure. so <laughs> the first pitch was like way outside, way. <laughs> But I like lunged my bat towards it, like flicked it. I hit a dribbler first base. It was over. But the fans there go to die. That's right. That's right. But you know, there was also uh, the catch, which I was able to. Mark, take us back to the catch. Yeah, Jimmy played right field, and the reason the catch is so amazing is because Jim's not a speedster. I don't know if you've seen him in his films or on his television programs. He's not a speedster. No. He's playing right field. Someone cranks a ball way over his head. He turns one way. He turns the other. He just starts running, 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 and somehow the ball lands in his glove. Greatest. Black magic. Greatest catch in the history of, of your whole team there. So, yeah, when Jimmy Palumbo comes back to Los Angeles, he always has a spot in our lineup. But here's the difference between playing in Beverly Hills and New Jersey. Around the field, there was a track, okay? And so I'm in right field, and there were these hot girls running around this little track around the entire field. So you would see, Mm -hmm. like, two hot girls running, but you had to wait until they came all the way around. And meanwhile... Anybody cared about the game at that point, you know, is a creep. So we would be, I would be like, guys, I was so late on jumps on the ball and the gap sometimes. I was like, I'm looking at the girls over here. But it was great. The fields were, and they announced your name. They had a little, like, guy in the booth up top. But uh, we ended uh-huh. up, uh, we, uh, we won it one year. But the best is we were up by four runs in the last inning. Oh. And the rule was if we win it all, we go to a, a Big-time, awesome steakhouse called Lowry's out in L.A., and the food there is awesome. But if we lost, we had to go to this place in North Hollywood called the Steak Joint, which is a little lousy, horrific uh, steak place. So I'm in right field. steaks the same place Denny's gets there. Yes, so, of course, I loved it. But still, I'm in the outfield, and we're up by four the last inning, top of the seventh, and... I'm like barking out my order at Lowry's. I'm going to get the prime rib, the 25 ounce. And everybody's saying, don't yeah, jinx no. us. I'm like, guys, we got this. So I start, uh, I'm going to get the cream spinach with the baked potato. And then a couple other guys were yelling out their order. I think the, I think the count was they, they got about 17 hits in a row. <laughs> they were, they were like down well, by four. What happened was uh, the best player on our team, our shortstop, Kevin Hench, who hadn't made an error in three years. He made booted three balls. Right to him. We lost the game. He walked off the field. I have not talked to him since. Yeah, he, he was, came back to another game. I know. He was like he so bitter about it. But we ended up going to the the steak joint with the you know the red and white tablecloths and everything. But um yeah. 
I was very friendly with the bartender after a while, but that's another story for a different show. Mm-hmm. But, oh, so many stories there, Jim. <laughs> well, that's so what the show. Stories. I'm gonna. So anyway, so now, Mark, um, what do you have going on right now? Uh, with uh, tell us about uh, Bafo. I got a new cartoon called Bafo the Bear. I've uh, partnered with uh, the animation guy that does all the animation for the Avengers movie. Uh, Julian Sarmiento is his name. And we've created a cartoon character uh, that works in real time. So we have a YouTube channel, Bafo the Bear. And we do we do a sh- like a show like this. We have guests on. We take phone calls. And uh-huh. it's the first time in broadcasting history that we know of that a, a cartoon has gone live to air. So we're developing a couple of different television shows uh, that feature this technology. And uh, we're going to have a lot of our uh, famous voice actor friends in uh, several That's... of the shows. So it's it's kind of like the new, how VR and um, uh, Oculus and all that stuff is kind of coming on strong. And all these I... virtu- Have you seen the virtual influencers? These people that aren't even real that have millions of followers. It's that's, crazy. I know. You're, you're, it's a good character, too. You're funny as playing Bafo, and you have some really cool guests. And uh, So how do we see that on well, Facebook? We did, we did a uh, year-end episode, and I was trying to think of who the worst guest in the world would be to interview. <laughs> so we had Jimmy come on, and Jimmy played the year 2020. I played the year and, 2020 uh, as, a, as a drunk, fat guy sitting on his couch with Jack Daniels, all bitter, and uh, it, it, it actually it was, was it was very funny because me and him were just kidding around. But now, how can we see this? How do we get? Uh, how do you get to it? Uh, go on YouTube. Go on YouTube to you know go to the Bafo the Bear YouTube channel and Google uh, uh, Year Review 2020 or Worst Guest Ever. Uh, I think I probably <laughs> put your name in it too, Jimmy Pumba. He's very funny in it. And uh, uh, please, please subscribe yeah, to the Bafo the Bear on Show, Instagram, and all that other stuff. Right, and uh, you still got what, markdecarlo.com and all that stuff? You still, still... That's just my regular website. Uh, and, uh, I'm, you know, I'm writing and doing uh, other, um, another cartoon, but the Bafo thing is the big thing right now. It's really exciting, and uh, uh, it's a very fun character to play because you can say things as a bear that you can't say as a human being and get away right. with it. Uh, it's true. As you learn. I, I could, well, I could say things as a softball player that you can't, uh, you can't do as a human being. Um, right. <laughs> when is Beer League 2 coming out? Uh, when is Beer League 2 coming out? As soon as we get, hopefully we get Artie back off the, uh, off the canvas and, uh, he's making his way back. He'll, uh, hopefully soon. Good. And then we're going to, hopefully maybe we'll do something. That would be cool for me. Are you kidding me? I'd love to play Johnny Trino, who batted 706, by the way. So, uh, <laughs> well, listen, Mark, I can't thank you enough. Um, hope you're around every Monday. I may have you call in for some, uh, stupid reference point or something, and uh, we'll have you. If you're looking for stupid, Jimmy, I'm your guy. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it, bro. I'll talk to you. All right. Thanks, Jim. Congrats on the new program. It's going to be great. You got it, man. Hey, guys. It's Sturge from the Chop Sports Podcast, and I'm here to talk to you about LVC Transport. I recently just had to help a family member move after living in the same house for over 20 years. You know what that means? That's a lot of stuff. So I called my buddy Chris over at LVC Transport. He hooked it up with a massive dumpster. Huge discount. Now, he's looking to help out every member of Chop Sports. Call him today. Drop the name Chop Sports, and he's going to take 10% off the top right away. Just say Chop Sports, and he's taking 10% off off the top. Get your free estimate today. Give them a call 908-705-3006.
Hey guys, Sturch here from the Chop Sports Podcast, and I want to tell you a little bit about Sunflower Meadow Seasoning. First of all, a guy my size likes flavor on his food, and there's nobody other than Jess that I go to for that. Her flavors range from French onion, BLT, Cajun country, so much more. They got dip blends, season shakers, smoothie mixes. Not even kidding, I've added some of their smoothie mixes to my post-workout protein shakes, and my goodness, what a difference. Get on over to sunflowermeadowseasoning.com for their entire list of products tell them chop sports sent you all right that was mark DeCarlo, the lovely and talented mark DeCarlo, coming on our show i appreciate that on my first inaugural episode i want to thank everybody for tuning in hopefully you guys had a good time and uh, next week we're going to have brian ellerby former rutgers basketball player and former uh, head coach of Michigan basketball for five years, and the first coach to win the Big Ten tournament, and also uh, the last uh, Rutgers point guard to win an NCAA game. He's going to fill us in on all kinds of college uh, basketball stuff and what he's got going on in his life. He's an old Rutgers buddy of mine. He knows a bunch of people. And uh, I'm going to get him to talk about how he was at the McDonald's All-American game on the court with two players you don't know one Michael Jordan, and two Patrick Ewing. And get this, Ellerby was really kind of almost a bigger recruit, which is funny. Um, Times change. But, yeah, Brian's a great guy. He'll be on the show next week, and I'll see you guys next week. All right, God bless. (laughs) 